The title of today's sermon is Giving God His Due. We will be taking our text from Psalm 33. Shall we rise for the reading of the word? Verse 1. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world Stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us, according as we have hoped in you. Shall we bow our heads in prayer at this time? Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for the blessed opportunity that you always give to us in studying your word. And Lord, we know that the words that you speak to us, they are spirit and they are life. They are life-changing. And so, Lord, we entrust ourselves to your Holy Spirit to speak through his word. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we would be inspired, we would be rebuked, we would be corrected, we would be edified. We pray, dear Lord, that in all things, your name might be glorified as we seek the blessing of the Spirit of God upon today's service and today's word. Once again, Lord, we give you back all the glory, all the praises and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, one of the things that 
we need to do as believers in Christ is to give God what is due to Him. A lot of us, unfortunately, do not feel a sense of indebtedness towards God. We feel as if that we do not owe God anything at all. But the fact that God happens to be our Creator and our Savior, if you happen to be a Christian, means to say that we owe God a debt of love and gratitude. Sadly, a lot of people do not feel that they are indebted to God and therefore they act out as ingrates. And this should not be the case. Now, when you and I are indebted to God and give God what is due to Him, it will be expressed in worship, in reverential awe, in fear of the Lord. These are the three things I believe that will be expressed when we are truly indebted or we have this sense of indebtedness towards God. And so this sermon is all about uh, what I just pointed out to you. And just to give you a very brief outline, just a three-point outline, this is how the sermon would flow. First of all, you find a call to worship and then a call to reverential fear and awe. And finally, the call heeded. So let's dive into our text and let me unpack to you this psalm, as we take a look at a call to worship. First of all, let's discuss about the approved worshipers. We find this in verse 1. It says, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Now, I would like you to take note of two words or two phrases. The first phrase happens to be righteous ones, and the second word would be upright. Now, what does this tell us about worship or what I would like to call approved or received worship? Approved worship is something that is the exclusive privilege of those who have a genuine relationship with the Lord and are walking according to the ways of the Lord. In other words, everybody else can actually worship, but only few have their worship approved and accepted by the Lord. I recall what happened, what happened in the case of Abel and Cain. As you very well know, both of them worshiped the Lord. Both of them gave an offering, but you and I know what happened. Cain's offering was rejected, whereas the offering of Abel was received by the Lord. That is a picture of what is happening all over the world. There are so many people who might be worshiping God. But then again, the question that needs to be answered is, is their worship accepted or approved by the Lord? And once again, let me point out to you, it takes a genuine relationship with the Lord. It takes a righteous lifestyle 
for our worship to be accepted. And I believe verse 1 confirms that to us with the word becoming that we find in the NASB in verse 1. Now, the word becoming, and in other translations it says befits, is quite interesting because these words speak of something that is proper or suitable. Something that is proper or suitable. So only the worship of the upright and only the worship of those who have a genuine relationship with the Lord is proper and suitable in so far as God is concerned. Once again, let, re let me repeat my point to you a while ago. Everybody else can worship, but only those who have a relationship with the Lord, only those who are walking uprightly can have their worship approved and accepted by the Lord. And I think that should somehow cause us to evaluate not just our worship, but most especially, we need to ask the question, do I really have a genuine relationship with the Lord? And in so far as God's standards are concerned, am I really walking according to the ways of the Lord? Now, you and I know that our country happens to be a very, very religious country. In fact, probably when you scale the whole world, you will probably find out that the Philippines happens to be one of the most religious countries in the entire globe. And yet, sad to say, very few, very few have their worship accepted by God. That is why, again, we have to ask some very serious questions about ourselves. Do we have a relationship with the Lord? Am I walking uprightly? Now, in verse 2, we find that in worship, we have the use of instruments. Notice what verse 2 says, Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre, Sing praises to Him with a harp of ten strings. Now let me describe to you what a lyre is. A lyre is a triangular instrument with seven strings, whereas the harp happens to have ten strings. Now of course, this is not to say that the only instruments that we are to use or employ in worship are only these two, the lyre and the harp. This is not, after all, a comprehensive verse of Scripture that tells us about all the instruments we can use in worshiping God. But the point is, we are to employ these tools and these instruments. Why? Because they reflect beauty. You and I know that the harp and the lyre happen to play beautiful tunes and, and melodies. And it is, it is a reflection of who our God is. Our God is beautiful. And therefore, the worship that we are to give to Him should reflect who He is. He is a beautiful God. He is a creative God. And again, that is what needs to happen. Let us remember that we have been created 
in the image of God. And therefore, when God looks at us, what should He be seeing? Well, He should be seeing a reflection of Himself. Sad to say, our, our image or the image that God has implanted on us at the beginning of creation has been marred already. It has been tainted already. It has been soiled already. That is why oftentimes we no longer reflect the image of God in us. To be sure, we find bits and pieces of the image of God in us, most especially when we extend compassion or when we extend kindness and mercy to other people. When we raise up our children in a proper manner, that is somehow a reflection of the image of God in us. But then again, there is so much that is no longer seen in the image that God has planted in us. And that is why somehow in our worship, let us somehow labor and make effort to reflect who God is. God is beautiful. And therefore, our worship should be beautiful as well. And then in verse 3, we find the worship with a new song and a new melody. It says here, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Now, what does this tell us? Well, why is it that God says we are to sing a new song? Well, I believe one of the reasons is so that our worship will no longer be stale or stagnant. It has to be fresh and it has to be creative as well. And again, Worship should reflect who our God is. Our God is a creator. Our God is an innovator. Our God is a pioneer. That is who our God is. And we see that in the universe that He has created. We see so much beauty. And therefore, the kind of worship that we are to offer to Him should likewise be creative. And somehow, it is when we compose or sing new songs unto the Lord that we are able to reflect the creative ways of God. And you and I need to understand, of course, that the way God delivers us is always fresh. It is always new. It is something that brings about a revelation of who He is. And therefore, once again, that should be reflected in our worship. And therefore, a new song is able to do that because, after all, there are new deliverances that you and I experience every single day of our lives. And that is what we find with the people of Israel. Every time there is a mighty deliverance of God, you find a psalm that celebrates it or a song that celebrates it. It happened in the case of Miriam when she began to sing a song of deliverance after their exit, their glorious, magnificent exit from Egypt. And once again, that should be true with us. Creativity can be expressed in a new song and a new tune. 
Now, likewise, in this verse that I just read to you, it says, play skillfully. It means that our worship should be done excellently. Now, here's the thing. It is confirmed further with the fact that it is a hifil verb stem, which conveys a necessary action. Now, some people just um, do worship for the sake of worship, and we find that it is not done excellently. There is no preparation. There is no desire to, to truly give our very best. But you know, this verse tells us that when we worship God, it should reflect excellence. And again, why should that be the case? Why is it necessary? Because the God that we serve is an excellent God. And therefore, our worship should reflect that excellence as well. And again, we should challenge ourselves. Oftentimes, uh, we find mediocrity in the church. I recall one businessman who told me, Christian businessman, and he said, you know, in the company that I that I am working in or in the company that I am employing a lot of people, I find that the most difficult people to handle happen to be Christians. And, and for me, that is a contradiction in terms because mediocrity should not be found amongst Christians. Instead, what should be found in Christians should be that of excellence. And of course, when we talk about worship, we don't merely talk about songs or, you know, uh, playing instruments and all of that. Worship is an entire lifestyle. So even as we expect excellence in our music, there should be excellence in our lives as well. Again, that reflects who our God is. He is an excellent God. Now, this passage somehow encourages us to compose songs in appreciation of a fresh move or a mighty deliverance that mighty deliverance that God has wrought in our midst. I like how the Bible knowledge commentary puts it. It says, new mercies demand new songs. Let me say it once again. New mercies demand new songs. Now, in our country, in the Philippines, I've noticed that most or majority of the churches are absolutely dependent on Christian American songs or uh, British Christian songs or Australian Christian songs. And of course, we have been deeply enriched by these songs. We have been edified by them. And, and some of those songs are continually playing in our mind as well as in our hearts. And oftentimes, we find ourselves singing those songs while driving a car or even during our time of praise and worship. However, my big question to all of us is this. Do we Filipinos not have a song unto the Lord? Do we not have our own deliverances? Do we not have 
our own experiences, our own encounters with God and His Word. And if that is true, I believe it is incumbent on our part, just like any other nation, to be able to sing praises unto the Lord, something that is developed or something that is born out of our own hearts, born out of our own experiences. And that is why I'd like to challenge the Filipino church to take this verse of Scripture seriously. Because if you look at this passage, actually beginning from verse 1 all the way to verse 3, all of them happen to be imperatives. Now what do we mean by imperatives? They are commandments. To, so to, to play skillfully is a commandment. To sing a new song is likewise a commandment. And that is why I am challenging our own worship team to compose their, their own songs. And I know that it's a, it's a pioneering thing and sometimes it's, it's very difficult to navigate over something that you've never been doing all your life. But then again, the Spirit of God is in us. He is the one who will birth these songs in our hearts. And you know, one thing so beautiful about developing our own songs is that our heart is in there. Our Filipino heart is in those songs. And we can feel those songs because they come from us. They come from our culture. They come from our own experience. They come from our own encounter. We have an obligation before God to sing new songs to Him as well. And again, I might sound very patriotic in this sense, but yes, we should be patriotic. But at the same time, we have to understand that if the Americans have a song, if the Australians have a song, if the British people have a song, the Filipino has a song as well. I recall my father-in-law, who was a well-known composer, Miguel Velarde Jr., the one who composed Dial Sayo. And he had a motto whenever he composed songs. He says, Think Filipino, sound Filipino. Think Filipino, sound Filipino. And I think we can apply that as well when we start composing our own songs. Let us give praise unto the Lord because we have a lot to offer God. We have been created by God. We have been given the capacity by God to be innovative, to be creative as well. Let us put that on display. For after all, the same Holy Spirit that is within those who are British, Americans, Australians, that's the same Holy Spirit that lives within us. That is why let us allow ourselves to become instruments of God. One voice among many voices that are heard all over the world. And again, let us take seriously the fact that this is an imperative. Now let's talk about the reasons for worship. 
Now, worship is an absolute necessity because we owe God a debt or several debts for the things that He is and does in our lives. Some of those things are listed, by the way, in verses 4 to 7, which we will be reading in a bit, and I will expounding a little bit on that, running through what it means. In verse 4, it says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. So what does it mean when this verse of Scripture tells us the word of the Lord is upright? Well, it simply tells us that God's word is true and His promises are always true. And that being the case, that means that God's word is dependable. That is one of the reasons you and I should be worshiping God. Because we have this manual for living. It is the perfect book to be able to live our lives according to God's designs. And this happens to be one of the major reasons why we should be worshiping the Lord. And then it also says here, all His work is done in faithfulness. So we have seen God faithfully working on our behalf. And what does that tell us? It tells us that God's work is likewise dependable. So two things. God's word is dependable. God's work is likewise dependable. We see the faithfulness of God in our lives every single day. We wake up in the morning, and in the nighttime, we begin to thank God and praise God for the entire day. Why? Because we have seen the faithfulness of God. We have seen Him supplying us with the strength that we need. We see Him uh, in His sovereignty, arranging circumstances, arranging connections, arranging people doing them according to His own design for and on our behalf. And we see the favor of God, the blessing of God, and we stand in awe of the many things that God does in our lives. It's really mind-blowing. And if you think about the fact that there are billions of people in this globe, and yet God takes care of us as if His eye is only upon us. What a great God He is. And therefore, He deserves the highest worship. Now in verse 5, it says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. Now try to imagine a world without righteousness. Try to imagine a world without love. Try to imagine a world without justice. And friends, what will happen? It will be pure chaos. It will be the survival of the fittest, the survival of the strongest. Each man will be a law to themselves. It's going to be like the wild, wild west. And so people will have no laws except the law that they feel is right within themselves. 
And therefore, each man will feel or think that he is own right even when they uh, happen to be wrong. And again, that will be pure chaos. There will be wars. There will be divisions. There will be violence. That is what will happen without righteousness, without love, without justice. That's why we have to thank God that the Bible says that God is righteous. And God is justice. God is full of loving kindness. And you know, it's quite interesting because the word righteousness here is preceded by the word loves. Once again, it is a periphrastic phrase, which means a continuous action without gaps and without breaks. Meaning to say, there has never ever been a time that God did not love righteousness. He has loved righteousness in the past. He loves righteousness right now. He continues to love righteousness. He will continue to love righteousness tomorrow. There will never ever be a time that God will change. There will never ever be a time that God will no longer love righteousness. He is the immutable God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the unchangeable God. Therefore, the laws and the principles and the precepts of God are irrevocable. They cannot be changed. The morality of God does not change. The spirituality of God does not change. The holiness of God is not variable. There is stability, therefore, in this world because of the righteousness of God. We can count on that. We can rely on that. And do not forget that the word loves also precedes the word justice. And what does that tell you? Again, it is a periphrastic participle which tells us that God has loved justice in the past. He continues to love it in the present. He will continue to love it in the future without gaps, without breaks. There was never ever a time that God did not love justice. And so if you are looking for justice in your life, if you are looking for God to vindicate you, if you have suffered oppression, if you have suffered injustice in your life, take heart, take courage. Because a time will come when God will display His justice. And therefore, you are not to worry. Wait upon the Lord. Trust the Lord that he will execute justice in the proper time. This should be our confidence. To be sure, I know you have been hurt. You have been, you have been a person who has probably experienced oppression and injustice. Worry not. The God that we serve loves justice. Not only that, the Bible tells us that God is full of loving kindness. Again, that is the Hebrew word has said. The covenant faithfulness of God. God will always be faithful to us. God will always extend His love towards us. God will always extend His kindness to us. Why? Because He cares for His people. He calls the people of Israel the apple of His eye. And guess what He calls the church? He calls the church his bride. 
the bride. We are the bride of Christ. And the Lord cherishes us. He treasures us. And that is why we have that confidence in our hearts. Friends, this is another reason why we should be worshiping God. And then in verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their host. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that the universe was not in existence before. It had to be, it had to take the word of God. It had to take the breath of God's word to create the world. God created the world and the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing. And it was by the power of his word that, that we see all this beauty that surrounds us. The mountains, the valleys, the sea, the skies, the clouds. The blue, the, the color of green, the color of brown. All of these things that we see, they, they come from this God. That is why we should be worshiping Him. And then in verse 7, it says, He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Now, it's possible this verse might be alluding to Genesis 1 and verses 9 to 10. It says, Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. What does this tell us? That God created the boundaries of water? And, and likewise, a dry land. And in my mind, I'm trying to imagine, what if God did not create those boundaries? What if the whole world was inundated by water? Obviously, because we're not fish or we happen not to be sea creatures, we would not survive. We're creatures of, of the land. We survive in the land. We cannot survive in water for long. And again, what does this tell us? That God was mindful of us. God was mindful of our existence. God was mindful of our own survival. What does this tell us? A God of all wisdom. These are just some of the many, many or myriad of reasons why we should be worshiping our God. Now, we segue into a call to reverential fear and awe. Whereas um, in the previous verses from verse 1 to verse 7, the call is a call to worship to those who are genuine uh, believers in God. We find that right now in the second part of our study, the call right now is not merely to the upright not merely to those who have a genuine relationship with the Lord. This time, the call is to all men, to all of mankind. Notice what it says here. Verse 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Now, while approved and accepted worship 
is the exclusive privilege of those that belong to the genuine believing community of God and to those who are walking uprightly when it comes to fear and awe, everybody, all of mankind is called upon by God to fear Him and to be in awe of Him. By the way, both are in the Hebrew imperfect, which expresses continuing unfinished activity. So in other words, people, all of mankind, should be fearing and be in awe of God all the time, in the present as well as in the future. Now here's the thing. When God is calling the whole world to be in fear of Him or to be in awe of Him, it is calling the world into surrender. It is calling the world into a full and absolute submission, which means a forsaking of their idols and forsaking of their gods and forsaking of their own sins. I take this passage of Scripture to mean a call to repentance and a submission to the rulership of God Himself. And this is what the Lord is doing all over the world. He is calling the people to repentance. What was the message of John the Baptist? The message of John the Baptist was repent. What was the message of the Lord Jesus Christ? The message of Jesus Christ was repent. What was the message of Peter at Pentecost? The message of Peter at Pentecost was once again repent. I take this passage to mean that we are all to come before the Lord in repentance. That is how we are able to express that, that fear and that awe before Him. When we repent and fully surrender our lives to Him. And those of you who are listening to me right now, maybe some of you have not yet done that. Maybe you have not yet fully surrendered your life to God. And I tell you, now is the time for you to do that. And know this, that God has made provision for your salvation. God has made provision for you to be part of His kingdom. God has made provision for you so that when you die, you will go to be with Him in heaven. And it's not about your works. Your works will not do. Because your works are tainted, marred, and soiled by your own sinfulness. They're simply not acceptable to the Lord. But Christ made the perfect work in Calvary by dying on the cross for your sins. And He's calling you to repent and receive Him as your own personal Lord and Savior. That being the case, if you do that, when you repent, when you genuinely, sincerely accept Him as Lord and Savior of your life, you will be saved. You will be translated from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of marvelous light. That is the call of God for all of mankind. So in other words, true surrender will always lead you into a relationship with the Lord and walking uprightly and eventually giving Him the proper and due worship that He rightly deserves. 
So what are the reasons why God is calling all of mankind to come and fear Him and be in awe of Him? Well, the same reason we find in Romans chapter 1, which happens to be talking about the creation. The creation of God. The creation of God somehow causes it to be incumbent on the part of man to worship Him. That is why it says here in verse 9, it speaks about creation. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Just like in the previous uh, verse of Scripture, uh, the people of the world are reminded that it was God who created this world that we are living in. But not only that, He is the one who makes it stable. As it says here, He commanded and it stood fast. So what do we find? Stability. Look at the universe that we are living in. Planets are not colliding with each other. The earth is not swallowed, out, swallowed up by the sun. It revolves around the sun with a very safe distance. Not too hot and not too cold. Not too cold for it to be frozen. Not too hot for it to be burned. Again, what do you find there? The wisdom of God. That's why the world has to worship God. And again, we think this, this world is an accident. We believe in evolution, that things just happen because of the Big Bang. How, how can we insult God and say that this world just happened to come together? Life just began to exist. Everything, the, the condition of, of oxygen, carbon dioxide, and everything else that is needful for our own existence and survival, it just happened by accident. Come on. You should think better than that. But sadly, that's how stupid and foolish people are. Uh, again, again, God is saying, because of creation, you should be worshiping God. You should be in fear of Him. You should be in awe of Him. Now, here's the second reason. God's sovereignty over the nations. Verses 10 and 11 reads, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. What does this verse tell us? There is no such thing as nations that are independent. By that, I mean completely independent. Now, all nations are dependent on God's sovereignty. Some nations think that they are charting their own destinies. And sometimes they can have this uh, illusion of control that... that um, that they will never lose their power, that they will never lose their dominion, that they will never lose their empires. But what have we discovered all throughout the thousands of years that nations have been in existence? Well, what have we discovered? Nations come and go. Rulers come and go. Powers come and go. Ultimately, it is only God's counsel that prevails. And you know what? It's quite interesting. It is also 
in the Hebrew imperfect. The word stands is in the Hebrew imperfect. And somehow this talks about uh, this case being omnitemporal. It somehow is time-inclusive and involves all the time frames of the past, the present, the future. The counsel of God stood in the past. The counsel of God stands now. The counsel of God will stand forever in the future. So again, that is one other reason why we should worship God. The sovereignty of God over nations. A third reason is God's sovereign grace on His chosen nation. I'm talking about the nation of Israel. It says here in verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. You know, I've been tremendously amazed at the history of Israel. To be sure, uh, the history of Israel has had its ups and downs. And in its downs, you would think that they would be totally down, meaning to say exterminated, terminated, gone, kaput. And yet, time and time again, Israel has always been able to rebuild the ruins. Time and time again, Israel has always been restored back. Time and time again, Israel has managed somehow to rise again from the dust and from the ashes. And you just have to wonder, why is this so? Well, what happens to the nation of Israel is a reflection of the sovereignty of God. And in this one nation, we see the hand of God. In this one nation, we find that for as long as, as God is in control of a nation, there is nothing that can somehow cancel out or terminate or destroy a nation totally or absolutely. Remember, as I mentioned to you, Israel is called the apple of God's eye. And again, that is so amazing. And, and Israel is supposed to be a trophy, a, 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 a billboard, a signboard on display for people to see that people might see the light of God. That people might see the power of God, the awesomeness of our God. And again, just by looking at Israel, and, and this happens to me, by looking at the history of this nation and having been able to travel to that country uh, several times uh, in, in the past years, except for this pandemic season, we, we've been traveling to Israel every single year. And I'm always in awe. I'm always amazed how this nation has survived. And therefore, it reflects who God is, the awesomeness of God, the power of God, and that is why we have to worship God as well. Now, one thing that's quite interesting also, why we should worship God, is the omniscience of God. If you look at verses 13 to 15, it says, The Lord looks from heaven. 
He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. Now, there are two words here I'd like us to focus on. Actually, words that are repeated and words that happen to be synonymous. The words are looks and sees. You find the word sees once and the word looks twice. Now, what is so important about this word? Well, again, we have to look at the nuances in the Hebrew. And what's so interesting is the word looks and sees is in the Hebrew perfect. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means completed or finished action. So we have to see the word look and the word see as a completed and finished action. So what it is saying is this. In so far as God is concerned, He has seen everything from beginning all the way to the end. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. It speaks about the omniscience of God, the God who does not merely see in the present, but God who has already seen everything in the far, far distant future, all the way to the end, all the way to the second coming, all the way to the millennium, all the way to eternity. God has seen it all. God has looked at it all. And therefore, in so far as God is concerned, everything, in so far as His eyes are concerned, everything is history. And let me define to you what history is in so far as God is concerned. History is His story. History is His narrative. That is what history is all about. Now, here's another reason why the world should fear and be in awe of God. God is the source of all victory. Notice what verse 16 and 17 says. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Having a great army does not assure the king of victory. Having great military might or strength does not guarantee that you will be a conqueror. And that is why, again, what does this tell us? Having a mighty army, having military might is a false sense of victory. Gives you a false sense of victory. Now, one good example in the history of Israel is Assyria and Sennacherib. They wanted to destroy Israel and they were a mighty, mighty army. And yet, God proved to them that their horses were no match to the power of God. It was a false, it gave them a false sense of victory. Now, having distinct advantages, remember this, does not always translate in victory. That is why we must depend on the Lord at all times. Now, in verse 18, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness, 
to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. What does this tell us? Victory comes only to those who fear and trust the Lord. And we've seen that many times over. Thousands upon thousands of years have, have come up with millions upon millions of testimonies of how God delivers those who fear and trust Him. This is why the world, all of mankind, should fear and be in awe of God. Finally, we come to our third and final point, the call heeded. And here we find the full trust coming on the part of the psalmist. It says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Now the word waits is quite interesting. In the Hebrew, it is the P-E-L verb stem. And what does that convey? It conveys vigorous action. And the fuller meaning is brought out in translation with auxiliary terms like fully or thoroughly. And what it is saying here is that this is not a waiting because I have no choice. All right? Uh, I'm, um, I've been put on the waiting list, so I really have no choice. So, yeah, I'll just wait. No, that's not the kind of waiting that is being talked about here. This is a kind of waiting wherein you are fully trusting that God would deliver. This is a kind of, of waiting wherein you are completely, absolutely reliant on the Lord and you are very, very sure that God will deliver you. You are very, very sure that God will fulfill His promise to you. That's the kind of waiting that is being talked about here. Now, the word shield is also very interesting in the Hebrew. It is the Hebrew word megain, which is a shield. It is typically strapped to the arm for hand-to-hand -hand combat, meaning up-close and personal conflict. It symbolizes the Lord Himself as an immediate and effective shield when experiencing personal attack. That is why the psalmist trusted the Lord. And by the way, God revealed Himself to Abraham as His shield. Now, Abraham happened to be a, a foreigner in a foreign land. You and I know that he came from uh, the Ur of the Chaldeans or the Chaldees. And the Lord told him to migrate into the land of Canaan. And, and therefore, I mean, coming into a world that is foreign, a culture that is foreign, a world that is different, there could be so much fear in your heart. But you know, God promised to Abraham that I am your shield. And that is the same promise that God gives to us. He is our shield. I mean, there are many things that we are afraid of, uh, many challenges and many conflicts that we face. I mean, 2021 should be not much different with 2020. But then again, let us not forget, in the same way that God was our shield in 2020, 
He remains to be our shield in 2021. Now let's look at, let's look at the expressions of the psalmist's uh, trust. In verse 21, it says, For our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. How do we know the psalmist trusted the Lord? Because of his rejoicing heart. I'd like to quote to you from uh, the New Bible Commentary. It says, The rejoicing heart is the product of trust which rests on what the Lord has revealed about himself and on his character whereby he can never deny himself. You know, when people, that by the way, that's the reason why the Christians have the joy of the Lord. They have the joy of the Lord because they trust the Lord. They have the joy of the Lord because they know in the end everything will be fine. They have the joy of the Lord because they know that in God's time, He makes all things beautiful. That's the reason why they rejoice in the Lord. And also, we find another expression of trust in the praying heart. Notice the prayer of the psalmist. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. You know, if you are truly a genuine believer of God, if you happen to be worshiping God from the bottom of your heart, it, if it so happens that you are living uprightly, you have a certain confidence. And that's exactly what, what John was talking about in 1 John. That if your heart does not condemn you, you have this confidence that God hears and that when He hears, He will answer your prayer. And that is why somebody who is fully surrendered to God not only has a rejoicing heart, he likewise has a praying heart. So let me conclude by a question. And my question is this. The title was Giving God His Due. Are you giving God what is due to Him? Whether you like it or not, you are accountable before the Lord. And I pray that this sermon that you have heard from me today will give you the resolution and the determination to give God what He rightfully deserves. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you, O God, for this blessed time you've given us. Thank you for the exposition of your word. Lord, your word is so rich. It is so beautiful. And we're always encouraged. We're always edified when we study your word. And today is no different. And so whatever has been achieved today, we give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen and amen.